This is AWLS, Podcasts on Wilderness Medicine, from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Hi, this is Richard Ingebretson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, frostbite and some of the other common injuries that happen uh, in uh, in the cold. The, the underlying principle is that the body is generating heat. We burn uh, at a minimum of about 18,000 kcals per day. And if you're exercising or working hard, you can get up to 3,000, 4,000. And in really high exercise people, it can get up to six, seven, or even more kilocalories per day. But typically, it's somewhere between 2,000, 3,000 kcals per day uh, would be a, a normal level. That heat is going off constantly. And you have to remember that uh, he, uh, there's no such thing as cold. Cold is just really less heat. Heat goes from hot to cold, and all we can do is try to control how much heat leaves our body. We button up, clothe up, put gloves on, hats on when we get cold to try and prevent heat from leaving the body. And as the temperature of the air gets close to our body, uh, our body temperature is you know, just shy of 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees Fahrenheit or centigrade. As the air temperature gets to that, uh, heat no longer leaves our body. But if the temperature drops down to it's really cold below freezing, uh, you know, you begin to develop hypothermia. But if you absolutely get to be so cold, so fast, then you actually can freeze tissue. And when that happens, you get the disease that is called frostbite. Frostbite happens when the skin is exposed to temperatures that are below freezing. While we really don't know the incident of frostbite, it occurs most often in the extremities with a slightly higher incident in the, in, than in the feet than in the hands. Frostbite can actually occur in any area of the body, however. It more commonly affects exposed areas, but in severe conditions, frostbite can arise in parts of the body that are covered, although that is not usual. It's a hazard for anybody that gets out into the wintry weather. Frozen tissue is damaged during freezing and rewarming, but mostly during rewarming. Rewarming can be uh, incredibly painful, um, but that's a, a good example of where pain is, is good. Uh, and one of the myths that comes with treatment of frostbite is that since it's painful, when you, if you warm, rewarm rapidly, then it's bad. But you really want to rewarm rapidly and there'll be more um, pain in the, in the person. Often with frostbite, you get blisters and edema develop after rewarming. And then sometimes a hard type of eschar will form with healthy tissues that are uh, d- deep to the eschar. Uh, frostbite is categorized uh, by degree, but you cannot determine the degree of frostbite on initial presentation or on exposure. You, it has to be determined after um, some period of time and when you can look at the actual injury. First degree frostbite is this the superficial layers of the skin. Second degree is the deeper layers of the skin become frozen. Blisters usually form and have a, like, a clear fluid in them. Sometimes they call them blebs, but it's really just a, a, the, another name for a blister. With uh, third degree frostbite, there is complete freezing of all the skin and the tissue layers under, and usually you start getting the blood blisters uh, as well. Uh, unlike uh, uh, in burns where there's just three types of burns in frostbite, there's actually a fourth degree of frostbite that's associated with full thickness skin involvement. But then you get the muscles and the tens, and the blisters get this red fluid in them. This is known as deep frostbite and can actually freeze bone. 
One common risk factor for uh, frostbite is diabetes. A diabetic person typically will have poor circulation and uh, nerve damage in the extremities and won't know there's a problem. So this predisposes them to cold injury and can make it more difficult to sense when hands and feet are too cold. There is no additional risk involved with rewarming a patient with di- diabetes. Um, if The treatment of uh, frostbite is really quite simple, but first you have to know that prevention is better than treatment. Frostbite is extremely difficult to treat in the field due to the circumstances in which you find yourselves. And you have to have it sustained rewarming without the possibility of refreezing. You must not refreeze uh, a frostbite wound. It's better to keep it frozen than to thaw it and then to refreeze it. But there are some guidelines for the treatment of frostbite that will always uh, help. If you are going to uh, uh, treat, you need to rapidly rewarm the frozen extremity. And this is contrary to a lot of people's belief that you should rub snow on it or put it in cool water and then increase the, the temperature. And that's because there's usually pain when you rewarm. But you really do want this to be a painful rewarming just because uh, it's much better to put it in temperature of about 40 to 42 degrees centigrade. That's right around 105 degrees uh, uh, Fahrenheit. This is about the temperature of a jacuzzi, a warm jacuzzi if you'd go sit in it. If the water is too hot, it'll burn the skin, so you don't want any uh, temperature warmer than that. If it's too cool, it will delay thawing, which will also worsen the injury. So it's important that the temperature of the water be closely monitored. The, uh, the body parts should be thawed for about 15 to 30 minutes. And then the other rule is, uh, one of the other rules is, do not allow the extremities that have been thawed to refreeze. Refreezing of a previously thawed frostbite body part will result in a significant increase in the damage uh, that will occur. It's been shown that refreezing is more detrimental to the affected body uh, than the act, than delayed thawing. Therefore, in the wilderness setting, it's better to have a person walk out on a frozen foot than to risk a refreezing injury. If you're unsure that you can keep an extremity warm, uh, you know, after you've started to keep it thawed, wait till the patient is in a protected environment to begin the thawing process. Also, do not put the uh, place the frostbitten body part next to a dry heat source such as a fire if you can avoid it. The fact that the temperature is not controlled may lead to a delay in thawing, but it may also burn the area of the because it's numb. But that may be all that you have is a fire or something warm like that in, if you're in a, in a cabin in the winter. Uh, it's better to use warm water of about 105 degrees, as we said. And don't rub it. That was That's an old wives' tale. This is one that's bad. The friction can cause the damage to the skin. Don't rub it with snow. This was an old recommendation that was proven to be very, very harmful back in the 1950s, but people still do it. It's important to note that the pain that people feel when thawing indicates that blood is returning to that affected area, and the thawing process should be continued. Uh, And people will complain about it. There'll be extensive amount of pain during the rewarming process, and this pain, while it can be excruciating in some cases, is a sign that the affected area is thawing, is thawing and that blood is, re, is returning. So it's a very good sign and a good prognostic factor. It uh, absolutely does not indicate that the rewarming is occurring too fast or causing damage. Rapid rewarming is recommended to prevent uh, further tissue damage. Therefore, do not slow down or stop the thawing process. Aspirin or ibuprofen can be given in the backcountry to prevent clotting and inflammation. And ibuprofen in particular may be given to a victim of frostbite before they undergo rapid rewarming of the frostbitten body part because ibuprofen, um, which is preferred to aspirin, uh, because aspirin may block a subset of prostaglandins 
that are very important in injury repair. So if you have to choose between aspirin and ibuprofen, choose ibuprofen. All victims with frostbite have to be evacuated. Uh, this is necessary for definitive uh, care, more, uh, you know, the continuation of rewarming and the management of their frostbite. If you know a patient is uh, promptly evacuated, it is important to begin thawing because before you go because prolonged frostbite can lead to tissue damage. Even with first-degree frostbite, the skin will be swollen and it will continue to be red for hours after the rewarming. It is difficult to determine the degree of frostbite until the area has thawed, and even then you might have to wait. Therefore, evacuation is always the top uh, priority, uh, of course, after scene safety when treating a patient with any degree of frostbite at all. A lot of people that get out into the winter conditions will not get frostbite, will get what is called frost nip. Uh, this is a, con a condition that is really often confused with frostbite. The difference between frost nip and frostbite is that there is no eye crystal formation in frost nip. When frost nip is present, the skin is still soft and pliable. Now, this indicates that there is no ice or crystal formation, and that's one way you can look at that. However, if left untreated, the eye crystal uh, can form and uh, freeze fluids uh, in the skin cells that, that will then go to frostbite. There is no permanent damage that occurs in frost nip. However, frost nip could be taken seriously because it can lead to frostbite if it's left untreated or if it continue on. Um, uh, evacuation is not necessarily needed for frost nip unless you are having trouble rewarming that body part. Another problem that happens in cold, but not in freezing cold, is chillblains. Uh, not long ago, we were down in Zion National Park, and a medical student was on a uh, floating down the river in an inflatable kayak, and and the, uh, the the air temperature was about 80 degrees. The water is you know down in the low 50s or upper 40s. However, uh, when she got out, she had little painful uh, prominences on the the joints in her toes. And um, this uh, was a, a great example of a chillblains. So even though the weather is warm, and the but the water was cool, and she developed chillblains uh, uh, on her legs, and she, on her toes. She had been in the water for several hours. So these are non-freezing uh, injuries where the skin reacts and will develop sores and blisters but does not die due to the non-freezing temperature exposure. It is important to warm that area and have them eat warm food and drink warm liquids. Uh, but uh, people who have diabetes are generally at greater risk uh, for developing these. Uh, rapid rewarming could result in worsening condition because uh, large temperature changes tend to increase possibilities of infection uh, in people that have chillblains. Uh, uh, chillblains will generally heal themselves in about a week. There's really no other treatment for them except uh, to manage the pain. That's kind of a stinging pain. The victim doesn't require evacuation at all, and uh, it's just treated in the back country. Another common problem that happens in, in uh, warm weather that causes a cold problem is trench foot. This is sometimes called immersion foot. Where you see this is in hikers. They get their feet wet if they're walking through water and they don't have an extra set of shoes, or it's seen in river rafters or kayakers who put a booty on their feet and water gets in there. Uh, and it can also happen in people who wear shoes that sweat a lot. The, um, what happens is uh, the, the condition is where the feet are in cold water for a long time. So the important step uh, is to first dry off the feet and warm them. And that usually will get rid of some of the initial pain uh, and uh, will start to get rid of the modeling on the skin. 
The victim should then wear dry shoes that are loose-fitting. Uh, putting a victim's feet in very warm water is incorrect, although that's gotten out there in the lore. The feet need to be dried. Uh, you should not massage the feet because that can cause more damage because of the, uh, you know, the damaged skin. Uh, trench foot is actually quite quite serious, even though it does rec- people most uh, can recover. But if left untreated too long, the skin will molt, and it'll molt right off the foot, and infection will become uh, very likely. Use towels and uh, dry clothes to dry and insulate the affected areas uh, without applying pressure to the feet. Main thing is get them dry, and you can see some rapid recovery. Well, as mentioned throughout uh, this whole discussion, the best treatment for all cold-related injuries is prevention. The severity of cold uh, and injuries and the unforgiving environment that creates cold injuries can make treatment in the field very, very, very difficult. Remember that these injuries can occur year-round, even in uh, uh, hot summer days when you're on rivers or if you just have hiking shoes on. And uh, the most single important aspect of hypothermia and other cold-related injuries is prevention, and it's always adequate preparation. Uh, This ends the podcast on frostbite and related injuries. And again, thank you for listening. Thank you.